0: You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our heart's desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad. Those are verses 22 to 27 of Psalm 35, which is the psalm appointed for today, Friday, October the 21st, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the book of Ecclesiasticus today, along with um, reading in Well, we're in Ecclesiastes 11, verses 2 to 20, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, and in the book of the Revelation, chapter 9, verses 13 to 21. And so here we go. We're picking up with the maxims for living. Do not praise individuals for their good looks or loathe anyone because of appearance alone. (laughs) So in addition to other things, apparently it would be okay to loathe someone for their appearance as long as that's not the only thing. (laughs) I'm not sure exactly why that says that that way. The bee is small among flying creatures, but what it produces is the best of sweet things. Do, it, it, this is sort of in line with um, Zechariah's prophecy when, when, when he's, he tells them not to overlook or despise the day of small things. So the bee is small among flying creatures, but what it produces is the best of sweet things. Do not boast about wearing fine clothes and do not exalt yourself when you're honored. I mean, it's same kinds of things Jesus is going to say about not seeking the best seats at banquets and all that kind of stuff. For the works of the Lord are wonderful, and his works are concealed from humankind. And there's a huge truth there, right? I mean, if you've chosen or decided up front that you're not going to believe in in God, then you're not going to see him at work in the same way that I would see him at work in the world. You're going to attribute that to something other than God. Many kings have had to sit on the ground, but one who has never thought of has worn a crown. Many rulers have been utterly disgraced, and the honored have been handed over to others. And you can see that sort of uh, playing out in, in the book of Esther, for instance, with Mordecai, who um, it, it just sits at the gate, and he's not making a big show of himself, but, but on one occasion he happens to overhear a plot against the king and, and lets the king know. And then ultimately he is the one who is honored rather than Haman, who is seeking the honor. Do not find fault before you investigate. That, if I could give people one piece of advice today, that would be it. You read something on the Internet and you immediately leap into action like, this is it. This is the thing that proves everything. Here's the thing. Here's the piece of advice I would give you. And that's this, that anything that per, any just so story that perfectly fits the narrative that you prefer is highly unlikely to be true. Just back off a little bit. Wait. Wait and then look at things. And that's been the problem in much of society for the last at least 10 years. And that is, is that, that there's the, a story will, will appear and, and all judgment will be suspended. Nobody, if it fits my narrative, then it's absolutely true. Well, there might be a reason that it perfectly fits your narrative, and it's probably because somebody's attempting to manipulate truth. So don't find fault before you investigate. Examine first and then criticize. Do not answer before you listen, and do not interrupt when another's speaking. Don't argue about a matter that doesn't concern you, and don't sit with sinners when they judge a case. Now, one of the things that, that we end up doing all the time is arguing about matters that don't concern us at all. It, it, we've, we've got to understand when we don't have to have an opinion about everything. And this is one of the things that that when the Roe v. Wade thing was overturned, my brother works for a consulting firm. It's a business consulting firm. That's all they do, business consulting. They had clients who were upset with them because they didn't speak out on that matter. Well, why? but, But it's typical in our society today. Everybody has to have an opinion about everything all the time. My child, don't—and I have an opinion about that, but why does a business consulting firm have to have an opinion about that? I'm thrilled to death that it got overturned. My child, do not busy yourself with many matters. If you multiply activities, you will not be held blameless. And this is what we're going to see. That's exactly what we're going to see in the gospel today, that Martha is busying herself with many matters, and the problem is she's not attending to the most important thing. If you pursue, you will not overtake, and by fleeing, you will not escape. There are those who work and struggle and hurry, but are so much more the want in more in want. There are others who are slow and need help, who lack strength and abound in poverty. But the eyes of the Lord look kindly upon them. He lifts them out of their lowly condition and raises their heads to the amazement of many. And, and it's absolutely the case that that we are need to keep our minds on the most important thing, and we need not judge others. In a way that that says you're not doing all the things that i'm doing therefore you don't deserve to be helped well the lord sees something different and helps those people good things and bad life and death poverty and wealth come from the lord period end of sentence literally <laughs> but it's absolutely end of sentence true the lord's gift remains with the devout and his favor brings lasting success one becomes rich through diligence and self-denial, and the reward allotted to him is this. When he says, I have found rest, and now I shall feast on my goods, he does not know how long it will be until he leaves them to others and dies. And, and that's exactly what Jesus says when he tells the parable of the man who's, who had such an abundance of crop that he built, built bigger barns and then said to his soul, my soul can now be at rest because I have all these things. And Jesus says, you fool. Tomorrow your life will be demanded from you. It's exactly what that just said. And then you move from that thought into Ecclesiastes when it's left to others and he dies. And, and the problem becomes in Ecclesiastes, well, who's to know whether the person that comes after me is a fool or not? They didn't work for it, so they probably won't even appreciate what I've left behind. Stand by your agreement and attend to it and grow old in your work. In other words, be a man of your word. Be a woman of your word. And continue to work all the days of your life. And that's the thing is is that we, we've gotten in our minds this thing about retirement. Well, you know, you might retire from an occupation, but, but you shouldn't say, well, okay, here's what I'm going to do then the rest of my life. I'm just going to go to the beach and I'm going to play golf. No, 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 no. We need to be busy about the Lord's business, but we need to do it in the right way. And we need to continue to keep ourselves active. Study after study will show you that the key to a long life is staying active in, in every way. Not just physically, but also keep yourself mentally engaged. Be learning new things all the time. Don't sit still. In the uh, gospel today, they're moving on. They're moving towards Jerusalem. We happen to know that this action has to take place in Bethany, which is just outside Jerusalem. But but Luke is telling a story, and he doesn't give us that detail. So this is probably out of chronological order, but it's in the order of his storytelling. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. This is described as as Martha's house, and so she's probably the elder sister in this uh, in this household, and so she's therefore sort of the, the head of the house uh, as well. And then what we're told is is that so Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching, and, and that's an unusual thing. Women Women weren't students of a rabbi. But Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet as though she were a student. And and that would not be—it would be abnormal, let's say that. I mean, Gamaliel and Hillel and, and Shammai and those—they that they would not have had female students. That would not have been the case at all. It would only have been men. And so here Mary is taking her— Uh, Seat at the feet of Jesus, and and it can sound a little presumptuous. And I wonder what the disciples actually thought, except for the fact that we know that there were others among this band. There there were women who were part of the band. They were not treated as disciples per se, but we know that they were there and they would have listened to his teaching and they would have would have, have drunk in the words of Jesus. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, you've heard me say this a million times. One of the, the main um, obligations and, and, and the highest virtue in Judaism is actually hospitality. Um, things like don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And so th- it's, it's enjoined upon you to be hospitable to your guests. And we see that when Jesus rebukes uh Matthew the not Matthew the tax collector but but Matthew the Pharisee who failed to provide him basic hospitality and and it's it we, we see that in um Genesis 18 when when Moses or not Moses sorry Abraham provides extraordinary um hospitality to the three men who we know to be angels who come to him there in the in the desert and so here it's not wrong in fact, it's a good thing for Martha to be serving and providing the hospitality, but Luke gives us some verbal cues here that there's more going on than, than needed to be, because Martha was distracted with much serving. So she's going way overboard, and, it, and it's keeping her from attending to the main thing. So, it, that Luke is giving us these verbal cues to tell us this isn't just normal hospitality. There's a lot more going on than that, that, that she's, she's doing this abundant thing. And she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Well, if Mary was presumptuous in sitting at the feet of Jesus as though she were one of his students, listen to that again. Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Pretty presumptuous um, to say, Jesus, tell her to get up from your feet and come and help me. Because there's multiple things going on here. (laughs) She's commanding Jesus, but not only that. she's, She's actually sort of accusing him of not caring at all. And that, and that he should know better than to let Mary sit there while she does all this work. You know, you, it's right before your eyes. And so Jesus answers, Martha, Martha. And the repetition of her name was intended to get her attention. But, but not in a, a scolding kind of a way, but it was intended to make her stop. You know, she's distracted with much serving, and so he repeats her name twice In order to get her to really listen to him. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. You have too much on your mind, too much on your plate, and you're the one putting them there. You don't have to do all the things that you do. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her, and so Jesus is not going to rebuke her for that, and so hospitality is one thing, but when it distracts you from attending to the main thing, then it's a problem. It's it's any virtue is that way. When when that becomes the the main thing, when it's not the main thing, <laughs> then then we have a problem. And and then what we get in the church then we I've seen it a million times. Now sometimes it's a legitimate criticism in the church to say, hey, these people aren't doing anything, and these people over here are doing everything. But then the the problem becomes is is that sometimes. People glory so much in their service that they begin then to become resentful of everyone else who's not doing what they do, and sometimes they fail to even leave space for those other people to be involved at all, but then they want to be recognized and raised up for their service when they're not even doing it with a joyful heart. They're doing it as an obligation, as though the world would come to a crashing end if they didn't do the service that they're doing. And they don't attend to, then, the teaching, the worship, and all that, because they're distracted. I mean, I can remember here in, in Asheville one time, I, I'm preaching, and I can see that the person who's the head of the altar guild who, who is mad— during the service, and I can't figure out what's going on. And it's Christmas time, and at Christmas you have two options for the colors. So I would wear a white alb, the white garment, and then there would be a stole that went around my shoulders, and, and then the um, the altar, the table, would be covered in a, a, a cloth that was the same color as that stole. And there would be other hangings, decorations, in the sanctuary. And those were all to be one color. Well, you know, so at the end of the service, that, that's only critical because of what, how this ends. So I came out of the service and went to this person and said, what's wrong? What are you mad about? I'm not mad. Yes, you are. You're obviously angry about something. What is it this going on? What have I done? I just need to know. And she said, you know what you did? I said, I don't. I don't have any idea what I did. She said, you don't have to be passive-aggressive. I said, well, I'm not being passive aggressive if I don't have a clue what I've done. And she said, well, if you wanted, and I don't remember which way it was, it, whether I was wearing a blue stole and, and the hangings she had set out were purple or the other way around. And, and, but she fussed at me about that. And I said, I have one thing that I need to remind you of that's more important than any of that. She said, what's that? I said, I'm colorblind. I have no earthly idea whether I match at all. I'll wear whatever color you put out. You just put it out. But she was so distracted by something that didn't bother anybody else in the room except her that she was unable to worship that day. She probably didn't hear a single word that was said in the sermon, probably didn't engage in the worship at all. And certainly at the peace should have come to me at that point and told me what was going on so that at least she could have taken communion with a clear conscience. But that's what it means to get distracted with many things and fail to attend to the most important thing. In the Revelation passage, now we've gone through the first five trumpet judgments, and now comes the sixth. It, he blew his trumpet, the angel did, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And you have to believe that these are like fallen angels or something if, if, if they're bound at the Euphrates. And why are they bound at the Euphrates? Euphrates, we don't know the answer to these things. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour that they had been kept for this very time, this was their job, and they'd been waiting for this job the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. What a horrible task that is. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. It's a huge number. I heard their number. John says. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They were breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. So fire, smoke and sulfur. Come out of the mouths of these horses. By these three plagues, the three plagues being fire, smoke, and sulfur, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. I mean, John's seeing some very, very strange things, and we don't have any good explanation for them. And like I said yesterday, people will say, oh, that's a helicopter. John's not familiar with a helicopter. And so to him, he's describing what this thing looked like because he didn't have a word like, well, helicopter. But these seem way different than that. These things seem to be um, really uh, beings, maybe is a better way to say it. They're they're not um, metal and um that there's there's something way different going on, I believe, that there's something different going on from, than that. These things were prepared by God for these plagues, so I, I don't think we're talking about machinery that John is unfamiliar with. <clears throat> the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues—so a third of mankind is wiped out. We've had a third of everything so far being wiped out. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murderers or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. In spite of the fact that a third of creation is wiped out, in spite of the fact the third of mankind has now been wiped out, no repentance from those who remain. God gave them all the witness they needed. They've always had the witness that they need. If you deny what you see, that's not on God. And and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the Ecclesiasticus passage, and that is is that that, uh, God's revelations are sometimes hidden from mankind. They're not hidden because God desires them to be hidden. They're hidden because mankind desires not to see. Just exactly what God told the prophets again and again. I'm sending you to these people, and they have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, they can't hear, and they have minds, but they can't understand. And that's the problem that, that we, sometimes as Christians, miss God's activity in the world because we're consumed and distracted by the things that we're doing, and we fail to attend to the most important thing. We fail to see God even there in these places, it's important for us to slow ourselves down, not allow ourselves to be distracted by all these things in order that we can see God, we can repent when it's called for in our lives, but we can rejoice at the activity of God in the world when we see Him, and we need to be able to worship and rejoice in those things. We can't allow ourselves to be distracted by too many things and too much busyness in order to miss God's activity in the world. It's the one thing we need to be better at because we need to be able to point the world to these things. The world needs to know we see these things, whether you deny them to be acts of God or not, is on you. But we're telling you the truth about these things. Christians need to be better about seeing and revealing God's activity in the world.